How would our lives and our relationships and our world transform if we stopped being so afraid of pain? What if we just once and for all decided that we were strong enough for the pain in our lives, so instead of hiding from it, we just rushed straight toward it and allowed our pain to become our power? That's Glennon Doyle, and this is The Depression Detox Show. Welcome back to the Depression Detox Show, where we share ideas and stories to change your relationship with depression. I'm your host, Malik Josephs. As we continue with this week of inspiration, we have a new featured speaker making her debut on the show to discuss the best way to overcome life's most painful challenges. Here's Glennon Doyle. Enjoy. Okay, so I have a couple questions for us today. The first one is this. How would our lives and our relationships and our world transform if we stopped being so afraid of pain? What if we just once and for all decided that we were strong enough for the pain in our lives, so instead of hiding from it, we just rushed straight toward it and allowed our pain to become our power? So I'm a person who hid from pain for the first half of my life. When I was 10 years old, I looked out at the scary world and I decided that I was too weak for it. So I dropped out of life and into bulimia and then alcoholism. Until I was 25 and found myself on that bathroom floor, shaking and holding that positive pregnancy test, and finding myself decide that I wanted to become a mother. But at that point, I'd been um, an addict for 15 years, so I didn't even know how to be a human being. So I decided that my best bet would be just to fake it, to just um, look around for other women who seemed to be adulting successfully um, and just copy them. So um, my criteria was that I looked for women who were wearing scarves. Right? Because I, I just feel like if you are the type of woman who gets up early enough to like stop and look in the mirror and be like, self, you know what this outfit needs is a scarf. <laughs> and then you have bought a scarf at some point and you know where to find said scarf. And once you find the scarf, you know how to do that tying thing, then you are just crushing life, you know? <laughs> so I became a scarf wearer. Um, and I became a wife and a mother and a writer and an activist because I thought that growing up meant becoming things, right? And then um, 12 years later, my husband told me that he'd been unfaithful to me our entire marriage. And that's when my unbecoming began. So I went back to therapy and I sat with my therapist and I said, look, I've never been in this much pain in my life. Um, and I need you to help me figure out how not to waste it. I have to use this pain somehow. And so I started working really hard in therapy, and I let uh, my therapist take me back all the way till I was 10 years old, and I dropped into bulimia. And here's what we discovered together. 
So we are all born whole, right? We're trinities, just like God, body, mind, and spirit. And the, the healthiest of us live out lives of the body, physical lives, lives of the mind, intellectual lives, and lives of the soul, spiritual lives. But what happened to me so young is that our culture gave me so many confusing um, and objectifying messages about my body that I just started disassociating from my body, right? Because good girls don't desire, good girls don't hunger, good girls don't even grow. But I did hunger, and I did desire, and I did grow. And so I started to become ashamed of my body. And you can't love and claim anything that you're ashamed of. So I just voted my body off the island of myself, right? And then um, a similar thing happened to my then-husband, Craig. When he was 10 years old, well, when he was born, he was whole too, body, mind, and spirit. But while the world tells um, girls that good girls don't hunger, don't um, desire, the world tells little boys that brave boys don't feel, don't cry, don't make themselves vulnerable in any way. And so Craig did cry, and he did feel. And so he started to become ashamed of his emotions, so he voted his emotional self off the island, right? So you see, we've got women trying to love men with our minds, but they don't live there. And we've got men trying to love women with their bodies, but we don't live there. And it's like everything that we've learned about femininity and masculinity makes it nearly impossible for real men and real women to be fully human with each other, which makes it nearly impossible for us to really see each other, which of course makes it impossible for us to really love each other. And I know these things are huge generalizations, but I'm just saying them because they're always true, okay? <laughs> so my therapist said, listen, Glennon, I don't know if we're going to save your marriage, but we've got to save you. We've got to host a reunion for you. We've got to, like, vote your body back on the island. And I said, that sounds really hard. Do you have any more pills? And she said, no more pills, Glennon. We're going to do the work. We're going to do the work, Glennon. So <laughs> I hate the work. So for me, um, part of the work was to go to yoga, okay? So yoga ended up saving me, but I hated it at first because it was so like, woo-woo, you know? So one morning during the separation, um, I was just in so much despair that I was actually scared of myself. Like, I felt like if I started crying again, I just might never stop, right? So I picked myself up off the bed, and I went to yoga. And I walked into the yoga studio, and my instructor, my regular instructor, wasn't there. So the receptionist pointed me towards this new room. And I sat down in the room, and you guys, it was one million billion degrees in the room. <laughs> And I was so annoyed because my life was so hard already, and now I didn't have any air conditioning, right? <laughs> and then the instructor walks in, and she says, welcome to hot yoga. And I was like, oh, holy hell, this is on purpose. Like, they're doing this <laughs> on purpose. And then she says the following, now we are going to set our intentions for the class. I'm like, okay. So the first lady, okay, on the most no good, very bad, terrible day of my life, has the nerve to say this sentence. 
My intention is to radiate sunlight to all satient beings. <laughs> and everybody else said some crap like that, and all I could do is glare at them and think, well, my intention is not to stab all of you to death. To death. But when they got around to me, I was already crying, and I said, look, my intention is just to stay on this mat and try to handle whatever is about to happen here without running out the door. And the room got really quiet, and the instructor looked directly at me, and she said, okay, honey, you just be still. And I was like, all right, well, that sounds easy. I can do that, right? But you guys, it wasn't easy. It was actually 90 of the hardest minutes of my life because what I found out as I sat there is that I'd been running so hard and so fast to avoid the confusion and pain of my past and the white-hot rage and shame of my betrayal and my terror for the future of my babies and my family and myself that I hadn't let I, haven't, I hadn't felt any of it, right? And so for this 90 minutes, I just had to sit there and surrender to all of the pain and fear of all of it. And I think it was the first 90 minutes in which I allowed myself to feel what it means to be fully human without running out the door. It felt like it might kill me but it didn't. And we got to the end of the yoga class and I was just laying on my mat and I was just soaking wet from tears and sweat like, like it had been some kind of organic baptism. And the instructor walks over to me and she leans over into my ear and she says, honey, what you just survived, that was the journey of the warrior. And I thought, oh my God, yoga is so weird. What? God. Ah. Ever. So I just like got my mat and I got into my van. I drove home. And I, on the way home, you guys had this crazy deja vu moment. So I picked up this book off my coffee table that I'd been reading. And I flipped open to this page. It was a book called When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron. And I opened up to this page and read this paragraph. If you can sit with the hot loneliness for 1.6 seconds today, when yesterday you could only sit with it for one, then that is the journey of the warrior. And I just sat on the floor and read that and read that and read that. And I thought, oh my God, that is what I've been doing since I was 10 years old, trying to outrun the hot loneliness. So when I was 10 years old is when I first started having painful um, human feelings like fear and anger and unworthiness and doubt and unbelonging. But since our, in our culture, we only talk about the value of happy, shiny feelings. I thought there was something wrong with me. I didn't know that these were just normal human feelings that everybody had and that they had something to teach me. I thought they were something to hide or get rid of. And the amazing thing about our world is that the second you start feeling your hot loneliness, the world starts showing you easy buttons to get out of it. 
So do you guys remember those Staples commercials where things would get stressful and then a red easy button would pop up and you could hit it and be transported out of your pain into this stress-free place? Well, we all love easy buttons, right? We all have them. Food, um, booze, sex, shopping, snark, denial. Now everybody's is scroll, scroll, scroll. Right? The second we start feeling our hot loneliness, we're like, You know what I need to do? I need to check on that guy I knew in second grade and see how his trip to Bermuda is going. (laughs) And we feel so much better, right? We're numb. But the problem is, when we transport ourselves out of our hot loneliness, we miss all of our transformation. Because everything that we need to become the people we are meant to become next is actually inside the hot loneliness of now. Right? So when we easy button out our way out, we are like caterpillars who jump out of the cocoon right before we would have become butterflies. Because pain is actually not a hot potato. It's a traveling professor, and it knocks on everybody's door, and the wisest ones say, come in and sit down and don't leave until you've taught me what I need to know. We have it all wrong. We are afraid of pain, but we were made for pain. We need to be afraid of the easy buttons, right? Because the journey of the love warrior is to rush towards her pain and allow her pain to become her power. Huge thanks to Glennon Dorr for stopping by. And when I listened to this clip, it reminded me of the Dr. Debbie Silver episode. Because in both clips, they mentioned that Oftentimes what we do is we we repress and avoid our feelings by distracting ourselves. And initially, these distractions work because they allow us to avoid repressed emotions and to replace those repressed emotions with feelings of happiness, usually by doing something that makes us feel good while taking our mind off of it. And that's all good for a while, but over time, what we tend to do is not get that same level of happiness or satisfaction from it. And then what we usually do is either we do more and more and more of whatever we did to distract ourselves in the first place, or we replace one distraction with another distraction, or possibly worse, we double down and add more distractions, all as a coping strategy to avoid facing that pain or that uncomfortable feeling that we may have. And we do this over and over and over to continue on this cycle, which may drive us deeper and deeper into perhaps feelings of despair or unworthiness. So the question is, why don't we break this cycle and face our pain and do the work like Glennon Doyle said in her talk? Because doing the work will start us on our journey to heal. So I think there's a number of reasons why. But the two main reasons I think that we avoid doing the work is because, one, it's hard. Uh, It's not easy to show up consistently and change. Um, And if you go back to any Bob Proctor episode, um, he typically talks about a paradigm. And our paradigm is our learned behavior. So it's very, very difficult to go against our learned behavior, typically from, from birth. And two, I don't think that we believe that we can do it. We may believe that it could be done, but for some reason, we don't believe that individually that we can actually do it. But it's um, my hope that in listening to this show, it's planting that seed of belief that you can do it. 
Again, big thanks to Glennon Dorr for stopping by. You can connect with Glennon by visiting her website, mamastry.com. You can follow her on Instagram at Glennon Doyle and check out her latest New York Times bestselling book entitled Untamed. Very, very popular book. Um, I'm going to pick it up myself and try to give it a read sometime soon. And uh, if you like the clip, there'll be a link to the entire talk in the show description, along with all the links to connect with Glennon. And when you get a chance, please follow the show on Spotify podcast, share it or subscribe on your favorite podcast player app. And all right, I will see you back here Friday where we have a new feature speaker making her debut on the show to continue with our topic of inspiration. So until then, stay strong.